Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. everyone. Thanks for joining me today on the Janestine podcast. Today, we're going to revisit a topic that is really important to me and so many families across the country, how to help our aging population. I know many of you have followed my family story about the tragic leadership decisions that happened here in New York that I believe led to the deaths of thousands of seniors. Almost three years later, we're still trying to find out why our government flooded nursing homes with COVID-positive patients, and we're still advocating for answers and accountability. Today's guests come from the nursing home industry. Michael Krauss is the administrator of Silver Lake Specialized Care in Staten Island, and he brought his colleagues with him, Lori Questel and Elliot Spiro. These discussions are important. Because one in six Americans right now is over the age of 65. We are an aging population, and this is going to be one of the biggest issues we face in the next few decades. We can't look away or ignore what's happening. And if we don't take a hard look at the past, we are doomed for our future. I, for one, will continue to raise awareness on this important topic. Welcome Michael, Lori, and Elliot to the Janice Dean Podcast. Today's episode of the Janice Dean Podcast is diving into nursing homes. Obviously, this is a subject near and dear to my heart. Uh, a lot of the podcasts that I like to do are about sunny topics. Uh, you know, this one isn't as sunny, I but I'm hoping to raise awareness to shed light on what's going on in New York nursing homes now and what went on during the pandemic. So my guests today are Michael Krauss, the administrator of Silver Lake Specialized Care in Staten Island. I've got Lori Questel, yes, who is the director of social services, and Elliot Spiro, the director of respiratory therapy. And you all work at the same nursing home, correct? Yes, yes. correct. Okay. Michael, you and I have spoken many times on social media uh, direct messaging during the pandemic. You came on Fox News to talk about what COVID was doing inside the facilities, how you were trying to raise awareness about your facility and why it was different. And so you tell me what people, what the takeaway is uh, on behalf of what you do inside your nursing home. Okay. So you started off by saying it's not sunny. Can we start with the sunny? Yes, please do. So I brought, and if I may embarrass Lori and Elliot in public, yeah, on the air, they are truly angels. Mm. You you cannot imagine what they do to save to a to the extent they go to save lives, to make a difference. Whether it's in the respiratory, our vent unit was the first in the country. Vent unit, what was that? Respiratory. When people come from the hospital, they need to be stepped down and continue on a ventilator. Okay. We provide therapy. Mm-hmm. It's not just maintaining what the hospital did. Okay. It's literal therapy, easing people back into life again, mm-hmm. giving Ellie, them a second chance. Tell me what you do. Well, uh, started about 31 years ago. I came over from a major medical center in Brooklyn and... I started the first ventilator unit in the state of New York, and Michael enhanced on that, probably in the country. Wow. And it's very different from working in a hospital than when working in these subacute units. They taught me in the nursing home, I knew the medical aspect. They taught me the human aspect. Like, they told me, you're going to bathe a ventilator patient. I said, are you going to do what? Yeah. And they said, yeah, we're going to put them in a bathtub. I said, okay, just make sure the water level is below yeah. the tracheostomy tube. 
And from there, I discovered that many of these patients that were coming in were severely malnourished, Mm -hmm. even though they were in the hospital being fed. Is this pre-COVID or during COVID? Way before 1991. Oh, man. Okay. They were were weak, muscle-wasting. And I said, how do you wean people off a ventilator with all of these problems that they're having without muscle, without nutrition, and psychologically? So what we did was we put together a program where we take these patients. This is 31 years ago. They just started it now in the hospitals, in the ICU, to stand them on a ventilator. We brought them downstairs. We had portable ventilators. We brought them into the gym. And it takes a tremendous amount of people to get someone to stand, like four licensed physical and occupational therapists. We started to stand them. Once you get the body moving, the body starts to absorb all that food that we're giving them through, you know, their G2, which is a tube that's placed through into the abdomen, Mm -hmm. into the stomach. And they start building up. They restore their muscles. They restore their, their vascular bed. The blood is moving around. And also psychologically. What did we do psychologically? We get them dressed. You know, you have to dress for success. Mm. So we tell the families, bring in their clothing. We put on clothing on them. They get bathed. They get groomed. They even have, go down to a beautiful hair salon that we have for the wow. women that love it. And <laughs> we take them out on a beautiful patio. They sit outside. They're listening to the birds, the traffic. They start becoming alive again. I call it a rehumanization process. That's beautiful. Because when you're in the hospital, you're stripped of your entire humanity. You're put into this hospital gown. The lights are on. You don't know outside whether it's raining, snowing, it's hot, cold, nothing. And so we acclimate them again to becoming a human being. Mm -hmm. And this really helps the patient wean from the ventilator. Yeah. All those few aspects. And you've been doing this for how long? Oh, 41 years. Wow. And what made you get into it? A nurse, a friend of mine. Yeah. She said, you know, it's a good field and uh, try it. It's new. It's upcoming. And it was very popular during COVID because right. everybody was going on these ventilators. Oh, you, you heard it was ventilator, ventilator. Right. And uh, we are the ones that uh, run them and mm. uh, oversee, you know, the workings of them. But at, during COVID, there wasn't a whole lot of them. It was hard to get access. Uh, at uh, Yes, it was. But they eventually got them, you know, uh, I think they released them from wherever, you know, medical facilities. Mm -hmm. Then Donald Trump, you know, said, get them these ventilators. And they had them in storage. I mean, there were ventilators. Yes, I'm well aware that Governor Cuomo uh, somehow didn't know where to find them. Right. They had them in storage and uh, they brought them out. And when he said, you know, when Governor Cuomo said 30,000 ventilators, we need, I said, oh, my God, that's. That's quite a bit. Who's going to take care of the 30,000 ventilators? So it was just an inflated number. It was never 30,000 is a tremendous amount of ventilators. He he inflated and deflated a lot of numbers during COVID. Um, Okay, Lori, so tell me what you do. I'm the director of social services there. I make sure that the residents are happy. And when I say happy, they are happy. Mm. We go out of our way to help them um, every single day. We go overboard and... um, making sure that all their needs are met. And we walk into the facility. I know I can talk about Michael, too, because he, I'm going to, he's shaking his head. Um, Michael really makes it a mission each day to walk in and say, what am I going to do to make a difference in their lives? Mm -hmm. It's bad enough they have to be here. He's told me many a times, Laurie, it's bad enough they have to be here. At least I can make a difference in their lives. And that's the philosophy we use. We care. Um, We have a lot of old-time staff there that have been working 10, 20, 30, 40 years. There's not a big turnover in staff at Silver Lake, which makes a huge difference because these residents uh, feel comfortable with us. They see us every day. They become part of our family. Yeah. And we cater to them. Um, Sometimes we think we spoil them a little too much. (laughs) But that's okay. You can never spoil them too much. much. And we touch. We hug. We hug. We give them hugs. We rub their back. We, we're we not afraid to touch the residents. I know some people say, oh, don't touch the residents. No, yeah. they need that human uh, contact. Um, 
I mean, this is, you're right. This is a sunny situation. It was very hard during the pandemic because nobody, there's no, don't touch anybody. Right. But we truly miss that. And Mm -hmm. now it's, it's easing up again. So we, I give a little bit more hugs and, and they need that. They just need that reassurance that they're going to be okay. We hold their hand. We even have um, massage therapy. Yeah. And that's a big factor too for the residents that are on the vent unit and residents that are comatose in a vegetative state we have a massage therapist license that comes in and gives massage therapy and it's it helps ease them and ease their muscles and their anxiety and it's it's a beautiful thing so we believe in in touching in a in, in helping them ease anxiety. And it, and it really is helpful. Um, and that's what families want. You know, listen, when my family was looking for a place for my in-laws, uh, we looked at a lot of places and D, Sean's mom, came with us. Mm-hmm. She, she knew that this is what we had to do because she, her husband had dementia and they were living in a four-story walk-up for 50 years and they knew that they had to have constant care 24-7. Mm-hmm. So we went to a lot of facilities and a lot of them on the outside look great. And they tell you a lot of great stuff that oh, they're yeah. going to do for you. Oh, yeah. Um, but obviously, during COVID, we saw the worst of what's happening in nursing mm-hmm. homes. I wish I could say that every nursing home was like yours and mm-hmm. that every person that comes out to talk to your senior mm-hmm. says, we have all of these things. We're going to make sure that their nails are done and they have right. a hair salon mm-hmm. and a, a place where we can massage you. That's wonderful. My goodness, mm-hmm. because the, we have a population that is aging right now. Um, but there aren't good operators. And we saw that during COVID, Michael. So there's a lot to be said about that. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to throw anybody under the bus. That's not fair, but all the good operators who were here back, I'm going to say back during the days when Governor Pataki was still around, Yeah, it was, everything was family oriented mm. and it was a very small, tight knit community of people who were operators, Right, whether it was the Catholic charities or the, the Lutheran charity, or I know, which still exists today, the, um, there's a Nor- Norwegian Christian home, which is still privately owned. Okay. But a lot of them have been taken over by private equity. Right. I'm assuming you want to know why. Yes, I do. Or so do I. My question is, well, since 2011, reimbursement has been going down. Okay. Tell me what that is, reimbursement. So – most people who come to a nursing home, yeah, in the beginning, Medicare pays for their stay. Right. After they're converted to a long-term stay, Medicaid pays. Right. Medicaid is funded by the state. Yeah. Medicare, well, Medicaid is funded, is like a match between the feds and the state. Mm-hmm. So for every dollar that New York State pays, the feds pay. Okay. They ran into a problem, but that's I'll I'll explain where where that problem began. They don't they claim they don't have enough money to fund what's happening. So they've been taking back money, reducing reimbursement for since 2011. Okay. Yeah, and here we are 2023. Right. So, after a pandemic. So if I may, okay, I'm just going to if like to share something with you. Because most of the homes did not sell out because they wanted to. They just couldn't keep up. What do you mean sell out? In other words, the private equity companies came in because there was nobody else. Mm-hmm. Because nobody was able to sustain operating facility. So one facility recently wrote on their to their families. Okay. Um, Delivering compassionate, high-quality, long-term care is more challenging today than ever before. Many long-term care providers have already succumbed to the extraordinary financial pressure. Sadly, facilities like ours operate on a nonprofit basis have been hit the hardest. In recent months, our ability to continue to operate has been very much in question. It is extremely difficult for a nursing home to remain freestanding facility and is not able to sustain on its own. So they... This particular facility 
was taken over by private equity. Now, I don't know why everybody's acting surprised, mm-hmm. but private equity does what private equity does best. Mm-hmm. They're there to make money. Right. There aren't that many moving variables in the financial status of a nursing home. Mm-hmm. There's your reimbursement coming from the insurances or Medicaid. There's the union. When I say the union, you know, not the sta- not the salaries, but there's the funding that goes above that. Yeah. And, you know, they need to sustain their funds. Mm-hmm. And then there's the people who invested a lot of money to ma- to run this home now. So what's left to manipulate? Right. Care. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's the challenge. Yeah. Now, I don't know. And this is why I say it's a mystery, because everyone who's in it has been approved by the state of New York to run these homes. Approved with quotes. No. What quotes? Well, what, what, whatever it, it takes, I don't know. I know that my parents-in-law, when they bought a home yes. many years ago, 1971, mm-hmm. it was a vetting process. Yep. They had to go through background checks. They Good. had to give up everything except for their firstborn. Yeah. So I don't know how in 16 years people are amassing these numbers of homes. Mm-hmm. I don't get it. Is it just in New York? Is it across the U.S.? So New York is different than most states. Why? I think New York still claims. I know back in the day they always preached at at the um, at our seminars. Yeah. You know, because so we have to, we to maintain our license. I have to go to do continuing education. Yes. They talked about how New York State is very proud. We do not allow corporations to own multiple nursing homes. Okay. I still think that's true today. You today do? It's, absolutely. Okay. Except for the fact that there's there's a concept of outside management, which is which is a which is really what is driving all of this in hospitals and in nursing homes. Don't go anywhere. We'll have more of the Janice Dean podcast right after this. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and. 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. What about COVID? Tell me about what happened in COVID. Did you get COVID positive patients into your home? So the answer is, again, obviously we had COVID because it was impossible to prevent it. We had employees working in multiple facilities. So that, of course, employees brought it in. Yes. We didn't have families, but we were only on lockdown for, okay, we locked down from the end of March Mm -hmm. until mid-June. Right. And we've been open ever since. We haven't locked down at all. Okay. Were you, were you told that you had to take COVID positive patients into your facilities? No. You weren't? No. I'll tell you what happened. So again, we the famous letter is mm-hmm. the famous letter. The famous letter. Of March 25th. Right. The executive order saying that right. uh, you couldn't discriminate, you couldn't test, you had to take patients in. Right. But that's business as usual. We are, how do I say this politically correct? Hospitals need nursing homes. Okay. They need to work together. Well, it's, it's, it used to be working together. Now it's more, now it's, you know, we need to do a discharge. Where are we going to place them? Okay. Right. How that's determined. That's another long conversation. Well, I mean, what we think happened is during COVID hospitals wanted bigger paying customers. They wanted the surgeries. They wanted somebody who needed uh, more care than the elderly who were recovering from COVID. They needed the beds and they needed to put them somewhere. And so. So I'm I'm not sure that that's true. Okay. I know that elective surgeries were were suspended by the state. Mm -hmm. So that was a that was a tremendous loss of income for the hospitals. Who do you think wrote the March 25th order? I wouldn't have a clue. You wouldn't have a clue. Who wrote it? Yeah, like who? I mean, who do I you lo- think was I, behind it. I, 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 no idea. But I think it's very hospital co- lobbyists. Maybe, maybe I don't know. But all I know is that 
the state of New York never came to me and told me, you have to do this. But I did get threatening phone calls from the hospitals. You did? Absolutely. And what did they say? Take the patients or we're going to, I don't know, whatever, yeah. whatever the threat was. They, they contacted my medical director and they told him, you, you must take patients. They said, we shut down. We're not taking anybody. So you decided you weren't going to take them. Mm-hmm. Right. And what happened? What happened is we've been, I mean, I, I, I'll give a plug to our, to our employees because mm-hmm. we have one of the things that's missing from Silver Lake is odor. Okay. It never smells. Yeah. That's like the first thing you notice when you come to Silver Lake. Sure. Very important. Okay. And our infection control program is really, really good. Okay. How often do they come in and check you out? We had over in the beginning four surveys, four infection control surveys. We had, um, you yeah. The New York State gives us COVID surveys now and infection control uh, surveys. So we, they come in if we, and they make sure that we're we're adhering to all the protocol for okay. infection control. So you to get keep people f- safe from COVID or any other infectious disease okay. that's going around out there now. <laughs> um, a lot of other things. So you get calls saying, you know. We need you to take these patients. And how do you say no to them? How do you say no? Back then? Yeah. I mean, our communication is with the hospitals. And we just said, sorry, we're not taking admissions now. Mm-hmm. Were nursing homes getting extra money to take COVID positive patients? Later on. Later not on. in the beginning. Okay. When do you think that happened? <sighs> I mean, they... You know, Medicare made provisions for they made a waiver. And how do they do that? Do they email you? They say, if you if you do take covid positive patients, we're going to give you X amount of dollars. No, 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 no. It doesn't didn't work like that. OK, they just said they just said if you're taking covid patients. Yes. You instead of the traditional waiting period for someone to go into a Medicare stay. Mm hmm. You, with, there'll be a waiver and you can automatically put them on a Medicare stay. Okay. If they're over 65. So that's how they break That's it. one of the ways. But again, there was what really happened, the hospitals, and I know from many of my colleagues, were petrified of losing their relationship with the hospital. The nursing homes. They mm. were worried about post-COVID, are they uh, still going to work with me okay. and send? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they said, okay, well, the hospital's telling me I must take them. Mm-hmm. So I take them. Now, what happened in COVID is happening today with psych. Okay. Psychiatric patients. Psychiatric patients are being inappropriately placed into nursing homes. Is this by the hospitals? Of course. Yep. Of course. Okay. So they can't take them. Well, they they don't want to keep them because if they keep them on an extended stay, they don't get paid. Oh, my. Yeah. Nobody likes that. Of course. And again, in defense of the hospitals, they've got to survive too. Yeah. Each individual hospital is running on a tight budget. Mm-hmm. I mean, so I, 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 I understand. But I think there's a problem going on that nobody wants to address. Okay. D- and address we, it. No, what I'm saying, I can't fix it. Yeah. I, I fix it in my little small world. Okay. We're facing our reimbursement is beyond pitiful. Okay. I'll explain that in a minute. Yep. Because... When it comes to reimbursement, there's no even playing field. Reimbursement for you guys taking the patients. Correct. Right. You know, if you play, obviously you want to play by the rules. Mm -hmm. You want to be honest. So we do. Well, you are. We do. We do. And we're willing to lose money for it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I'm going to give you an example for in the world of Elliot. Because we don't discriminate. We take everybody. We take the sickest. We take people with that nobody wants to deal with stage four decubiti wounds, and we heal them. Mm-hmm. And I'm very grateful, whether it's in Elliot's world on, on the ventilators, or if they're not in the ventilators, we heal them. Thank God all our wounds are always in the right direction. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got a great staff and a great wound care team. Right. It helps. And... One of the unknown factors of wound care that Elliot started touching on is nutrition. Even the lawyers don't know this. Why? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Elliot, what do you think happened during COVID? Where we, did we fail? Where did we fail? Yeah. Oh, well, where did we fail? Well, we learned one thing about 
uh, COVID and ventilators. That, yes. Uh, ventilators and COVID were not uh, a match. Not a match. I think, they, I think they caused more harm in the beginning. But, you know, listen, it was very new to us. Yeah. We were uh, thrown a curveball and we couldn't hit it. Yeah. And they put people on ventilators and they mm-hmm. saw that when they put them on ventilators, they got worse and yes. worse and worse. It's like a death and, sentence and almost. what was happening is they were shooting off all of these clots okay. into the lung and the pressure from the ventilator caused the blood to stagnate even more in the lung, which formulated even more clots. Mm-hmm. They had, you know, these crazy pressures on the ventilator because they, they couldn't ventilate them. Yeah. And then they learned later on, they switched them to doing different positions, proning the patient, putting them down on their chest, laying that way uh, would cause better ventilation. They use high flow oxygen, which is just a nasal cannula Mm -hmm. that delivers a tremendous amount of oxygen uh, through that apparatus. So it got better towards like after a few months, you know, I had a friend of mine who's my physician and he was texting me. He was in the ICU as a patient. He couldn't speak. So he would text me. And I said to him, Robert, whatever you do, do not go on a ventilator. Wow. I said, if you need, if they don't have the high flow oxygen machine, I will bring it to you in mm. the hospital. And, you know, I don't know if they will let me into the hospital. You knew. That was Why didn't thing. they know? They knew at starting later on. You know, that I saw, I surmised that something was going on with these ventilators. Right. You know, meanwhile, he's, you know, Mr. Cuomo was saying, we need 30,000. I, I said, know. No, you don't. You need oh, more my high goodness. flow machines and, and get them off the ventilators because they're not doing a good service to the patient. And that was around, I would say, two months after, you know, we were hit with COVID. I just kind of said something's wrong. Yeah. There's something going on. Because you were putting the dot, you were connecting the dots. Right. Whereas our government wasn't. I guess so. (laughs) I guess so. Um, Lori, what do you think? What are the lessons that we've learned coming out of this? I I think that there are people that are still very fearful of Of COVID. There, Um, in our nursing facility, we did lose residents. Um, and at the same time, when we were losing our residents, our staff were getting sick too. Right. So there was a real big fear there. Um, but I have to say, I learned that through difficult times, our staff stood tall and they came in. They worked double shifts, triple shifts. They, they treated every death with dignity. I know I personally worked with the families. Um, it was a horrific time for them, but I worked with them to make sure that their relative um, was treated with respect and dignity, even as far as burial goes. Um, at that time, it was very difficult to even find a funeral home. Oh, I know. Yes, we I had know. to. We we had family friends that owned a family uh, that owned a funeral home, and if it wasn't for Frankie, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know what we would have done because. We lost both of them within a two-week span. That was my dilemma. That was my dilemma. You know, going through all this, and then I says, how are we going to respect this? Part? We Don't forget, we, we were very close to these residents. We we treat them like our own family, like yeah. I, I began saying. So it was very personal for us. We were hurt. We were very we were mourning the loss of our residents the same way, similar to the families that maybe lived out of town that hardly ever had contact with the residents. We were their family. So it was my responsibility to make sure that they were buried in a dignified manner. But there was no funeral homes. They they, they right. were full. Yeah. So the next and you can't send them to the morgue. Don't send they were giving us memos. Don't oh, send yeah. them and and we did not have the provisions for them. So thankfully so. There was a funeral home on Staten Island that called me and says, I got a big, I got provisions now you can send. And he helped so much. And What, uh, what kind of communication was there? Because I know that for Sean's father, we didn't even know he was sick. We got a call on a Saturday saying he's running a fever. He's not well. We're all in lockdown. So, mm-hmm. you know, we have, we don't have a lot of communication. We can't see inside the nursing home. Mm-hmm. And then three hours later, he's dead. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. what kind of communication were you giving to the family members? I have to tell you, that's how fast it happened. Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. at the beginning when we first struck, it happened so quick for some of the residents. Yes. We were, 
I was walking in each day with different numbers and I'd say, how, how? Like this, it happened quick. So there wasn't a lot of time to prepare the families and they were in shock and yeah. we were in shock. Okay. Everybody was in shock. So I can relieve you of that. It's not that they weren't communicating with you. I'm sure it was the fact that it happened that so quickly. quick. The, the fever spiked and that was <clears> in a couple of hours. Some of these residents were not with us anymore. And that's how quick it happened. Were there residents uh, that were you know, had COVID and then went back to the hospital and died at the hospital? Yes, absolutely. But then, no, they were telling us not to send. They were, at, at one point, the, they asked us to try to take care of our residents in, in the nursing facility. And wow, we were. don't bring them back to the hospital. Well, they weren't saying don't bring them back. They, they encouraged us to do everything we could to take care of them in the facility, in our facility. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And did you have that kind of equipment? Yes, we did. We had provisions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. we probably did a better job. Oh, I, I, it sounds <laughs> like you did. It sounds like you're a model. I think for we. I think we did a better job. What a nursing home should yeah. be like and how to operate one. I and, have to say, and we kept thing. communication with the families. We did. We got okay. on the phone. We gave them updates. Yeah. Um, you know they weren't allowed to visit. We know that, but we did face FaceTiming with them. Okay. We that was that was very. But can I, can I just yes. interject because mm-hmm. on the vent unit, oh my god, because to do. the the state the rules said that we can, end of life we can let them in and not be locked down. Yes, so, some so I said, them. okay, well, vent is ventilator is end of life, so come on in. Okay, so they were allowed to come in and see their loved ones. End of we life. We did end that. Wow. We made them. We made them dress up. Yeah, and in a space we brought suit. them in. Yeah, yeah. But God bless you. I mean, I I tell you that uh, I did a video chat. Uh, it was happened to be a Jewish uh, person that was sick. I knew her. She was a nurse and worked in pediatrics. I worked with her many years ago. And they do a certain prayer. And I had to hold the iPad in a yeah. certain way. And they were just looking at her. And they would do It brought tears to my oh, eyes. Yeah. I mean... The, the magnitude of, of, of yeah. what was going on there. Yeah, it was a was scary horrible. time. Very scary but time. The thing about the ventilator, I discovered something, and and something now it's kind of weird. Nobody on the vent unit came down with COVID. None of the vent residents. They have filters on it. They have a viral filter, a bacteriostatic okay. filter. They have multiple filters. And none of them, the one that did get it was she was being weaned at the time during the beginning of COVID, like oh, back wow. in uh, February, March. We didn't even know what it was. Yeah. And she had passed, but none of the vent residents had it, but they're getting it now. And I find it very strange. What's going on with the testing? Mm-hmm. How was it? <clears throat> and maybe the testing got better or yeah. something's going on that some of these patients are coming down with COVID. Yeah. And somebody should look into that as why these vent patients during the height of COVID of, you know, March 2020, April, didn't come down. Mm -hmm. And now they are. Don't go anywhere. We'll have more of the Janice Dean podcast right after this. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When did you guys get COVID tests? When were you able oh, to actually yes. test people? <sighs> couple of like four months after four oh, months maybe, after maybe even a little oh, for bit sure. more oh I mean, yeah more it so i more. know that more than the hospitals months. had testing kits back yes. in beginning of march okay so that's how they knew that they could discharge <clears throat> oh because again we have to listen to them they call mm-hmm. the shots they always mm-hmm. call the shots of course i i, I don't want to be can i be unkind yes hospitals consider nursing homes Sometimes they're dumping grounds. Yeah. And yep. that's, and if you speak to anybody who's been in this industry and you see an inappropriately placed patient, they'll say, well, they just dumped another one on us. Oh. What, what do you think in your mind is the ratio or the percentage of people doing it for the right reasons, like the business that you run? 
The answer is, again, I don't want to call anybody evil or nefarious or inappropriate. Okay. I think they, well, the past 16 years have been very, a very um, rapid change, transition period, shall I say, uh-huh. where we've gone from people who are non-clinicians calling the shots. Okay. Yes. Who really have no business to the point I could have a conversation with people, and this runs from people who work in the field, people in the trade associations, people in the state of New York, Mm -hmm. trying to say, Michael, wake up. It's a business. It's not a charity you're running here. Yeah. And I'm saying, you know what? I'm sorry. It is a charity. Yeah. It's a charity that needs to be run like a business. But you, if you once you take the charitable endeavor out of the home, what's the point? Right. And I think today everyone has been so deconditioned they don't even realize they don't even know what the inside of a nursing home looks like. Yeah. The politicians, the 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 players who are in making investments. I get it. Again, if you make an investment, you want to make money. Yeah, but to what end? To the point where I don't think. If anybody really came inside and looked at these people in their eyes or even met with the families, Lori didn't even tell you how our approach is not only are the patients our patients, but so are the families. Right. Because some of them are unreasonable, high rate, <laughs> and what, but, but understandably so because if I was in their shoes, I'd feel the same way. Yeah. So, so – no, so, and Lori does that. Lori and her staff, and, the, and even the nurses, we just have to talk them down and 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 make them understand. So that's that's part of the challenge. So, how does a family find a place like yours? <sighs> We're dying. Word of mouth. Yeah, we word take a mouth. lot of um, word of ma- uh, word of mouth. Yeah, um, I've had I have a resident now. Oh, you had my sister two years ago. You had my brother five years ago. You know, mm. so we get multiple uh, family members coming in. Uh, they've had good experiences and they're happy with the care. I've been there many years, so I, I when they tell me, oh, you you probably don't know them. It's ten years ago, twenty years ago. I say, I probably do. What's the name? Because <laughs> I've been there so long, and I do, and they're comforted by that. You know, um, word of mouth, word of mouth. Um, it's, yeah, I've talked to people, so many people, and they come for a tour. We we have tours. Yes. So we encourage them to we come for too. a tour. We did too. You know, you know, it. And it's, it's important. A, it's a process too. When you talk about Medicare, Medicaid, we had to hire a lawyer to help us because oh. we had no idea how to navigate something like this, right? And you know, so you know, my husband's dad was a retired firefighter. You're looking mm-hmm. at how much he made mm-hmm. and how much she made, and that it's a it's a process, right? Right. You it know, is. for a family that has to try to give our elderly the best lives that they can. And mm-hmm. my sister-in-law says it too. It's like, we didn't put them in there to die. We put them in there to live, mm-hmm. live yeah. a better life than they were living yeah. in a apartment they had been in for mm-hmm. 50 years. Right. I think what really happened during COVID and it, families play a very important part in directing care. Yes. When you shun the families from hospitals and nursing homes and you put it on a lockdown. Which is what happened. My This gentleman that I was talking about, my physician, my yeah. friend, he lost 25 pounds. And he wasn't a big, big guy. Yeah. He says nobody would come and feed me. He said he had to discover on himself. Thank God he was a doctor. He had a... And he, uh, was, in a, he was in a nursing home? He, no, he was in a hospital in the ICU. Oh, he right. was texting me. Yes. Who was and on the ventilator. Or who no, was, who I was told, told not to, not go to be on the, on the ventilator. ventilator. Go okay. on anything else. All right. Stay off. And he said nobody would come in to feed me. You know, by rightfully so, even the staff was scared. Yeah, You know, they, of course, it was new to them. They're looking. Right. They had to even put, they drilled holes into the partitions on the in the ICU, in the wall, to have the hoses and IV lines going through these holes so that they don't go inside. Oh, my goodness. So who's taking care of these patients? Right. And then and, the nurses, too. I mean, I talked to a nurse that was here, a traveling nurse from Georgia, 
early on in the pandemic and they were working nonstop and wearing the same mask for yes. days and not yeah. knowing <laughs> if they could have a, a little drink of water. You know, it was, it, it, it was, was just horrible. <clears throat> I know I had COVID. I got it. Uh, I found out on a Friday and then it was no more, no 10 day waiting period or anything. Yeah. I was asymptomatic on Saturday. I came in because it was staff was limited. Mm -hmm. And since I had no temperature, I had to work. Yeah. Yeah. So that was another aspect. Mm -hmm. But I think families really, I think if families were in the hospitals, in the nursing homes there, helping out, mm -hmm. I think you would have seen a, a different outcome. Yeah. If you could be called to testify. <laughs> I mean, listen, I think there should be hearings. I think there has to be. We have to go back and find out what we did wrong so it doesn't happen again. Michael, I know you're saying that it is still happening. And so what do you say? What do you recommend? How do we start the process of an after action review? Well, one thing would be helpful. Can I, if, if I may? Yeah. Because like I said, homes like us are facing extinction. Yeah. Is it by design? I don't know. Mm -hmm. You know, our... <sighs> but don't families have a say in that? Like if the, if the family is listening right now and they're like, my loved one is in his nursing home, how do we make sure that you aren't a dying breed? They can't because... So let me give an example. And I, I, I don't want to drag this on too much, but especially on the ventilator. Mm -hmm. Where when we started, let me just I'll give drop a history. And ironically, there was a member Congress by the name of Bruce Vento mm -hmm. who signed that bill into law mm -hmm. back in '91. Okay, and we were, and that's when we jumped on it. Yes, our administrator of 45 years who just passed away wow. this week. I'm sorry. So she was very. She knew a lot of people. And she was very influential, and she got together the team that put together the concept of the, of what we do. Okay. At the time, New York State said, we have no idea how to do it, so you make the rules. Huh. You set the standard. Okay. And we did. Mm -hmm. Now, just for the record, nobody has followed that. But when it comes, the, the state of New York has a very interesting methodology for reimbursement. So in 2009, they said, okay, we're going to set rates for everybody. And they based it on 2003 expenses. And that was written into law. So Silver Lake is reimbursed on, based on 2003 expenses. Now, some of the expenses that go into this are expenses of construction costs. Okay. But we didn't have any in 2003. We were here from 91. Right. So- there could be a home just down the road providing ventilator services. It gets paid $250 a day more than us. And there's nothing I could do about it. Mm. I've spoken to lawyers, people in the Department of Health, and it's, it falls on deaf ears. Yeah. They're not budging. Meanwhile, if you ask Elliot, and I would testify that that's true, I don't think there's anybody who does ventilators like we do. Mm. Our unit is mobile. So we don't keep people tethered to the wall. We don't spend millions of dollars of piping oxygen, mimicking what a hospital does. The point is not to be a hospital. Mm -hmm. So we're on, just on that alone losing over, well, anywhere between 250 sometimes $300 a day because everything's going up. Staffing is going up. I have to be properly staffed on the unit. Mm -hmm. My supplies, some of the things Elliot didn't tell you, he, he uses this and he won an award. One of 11 facilities in the world who uses a very unique methodology for a speaking valve. As soon as a patient comes in, he's got them talking. Yeah, that was back in 1991. Um, that. I and the director of uh, speech, we, you know, were reading this article about the speaking valve, and it only came out in uh, 1990. Um, it was developed basically by a, a patient named uh, Passy, 
And uh, Dr. Passien, Mr. Muir, he had uh, MS. And he discovered to use this one-way valve, and they call it now the Passi-Muir valve. I wow. I want to plug that. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it's an amazing tool. And you ask me, how do I get to wean people and get them back to being human? I used this valve back in 1991. And it, it opened up an avenue for these people not only to converse, to let me know that they're cold, they're hot, open the window, close the light. It gave them freedom. And it also helped with weaning. It also helped with facilitating eating. So they start to eat by mouth again. Mm -hmm. People on trachs, they never thought that someone's going to eat. And we developed this whole program, and they gave us an award. We were only four in the United States then and uh, 11 in the world wow. that received this uh, award of excellence from them. Well, and, congratulations on that. Yeah. Um, right. So my point is that all this stuff costs money. Yeah. And you're hearing in the news that staff and supplies that go direct care mm. is what drives reimbursement. But it's not. Mm. It's not true. Because the only people in the state of New York who have been able to have a rate changed are people who did construction. Well, you do construction, we'll pay for your building and we'll reimburse you in a higher rate. Okay. Which makes no sense. Buildings don't heal people. Right. Yeah. So it's painful to, you know, further our cause. As far as, you know, we want to stay open. We yeah. want to continue. We've been, our accountants have been begging us to shut down, shut down the ventilator unit. Right. Because it's unsustainable. But that wouldn't be fair. So what are you going to do? I don't know. I'm here. <laughs> uh, Lori, are you optimistic? I am very optimistic. You are. I, I always see the glass uh, well, full. Well, give it to me. <laughs> give me the glass half full. I, I believe that as long as you do the right thing in life by these residents, I believe some way, somehow, forces being will allow things to happen the way they should happen. And I think if we wake up every morning and go in there with that attitude to provide the best care and to make these residents comfortable and try to make them happy under circumstances that are not the happiest. Yeah. We'll survive somehow or not. I mean, what about donations? I'll be honest with you. Like I think families, if they see that their loved ones are being taken care of in a way that, you know, takes the burden off of them, why wouldn't they give you so, Money. Well, maybe they would, but we're we're for profit. We're evil for profit, but not evil. But the, you can cross <laughs> out our evil part. I'm sorry. No, no, I understand. It's so complicated. I still it, and I think that's another reason why, um, you know, there aren't more investigative journalists or people diving into this. They need to because one in six Americans. Are sixty five and over. Oh, the, the baby baby boomer generation yes. is upon us. You need to. Yeah. We need to figure it out. And and unfortunately, there are much younger population now in nursing oh, facilities, yes. and we have to touch on that. We have a lot of sixty year olds there, and uh, more so than you think. Yeah, because that generation did not take care of themselves as ah. far as the diet. The McDonald's yep. came out and all the fast food and uh, stress, a lot yeah. of stress. Mm -hmm. People, women back in the workforce, taking care of kids, making fast food dinners and the diabetes and wow. through the roof. Yeah. And a lot of sick, sick, younger sick people that wow. we're seeing in nursing facilities now. And uh, so we have to be on board, be able to, to help these I just got a patient. He's 48 years old. Looks like in good shape. He was a court officer. Came in. He had a stroke. Yeah. His vocal cords are paralyzed. And he was at the hospital? No, he was, uh, well, he was at the hospital and he came to us, uh, you know, once he was treated for the stroke. But he has residual issues now. Right. With not being able to swallow. And, you know, he's going through a whole through therapy. He's walking now. Mm -hmm. uh, he's just has a tracheostomy tube, which he has to have that as his airway because mm -hmm. his vocal cords are paralyzed. But they're working on that. He's getting better. He's improving. But I'm getting calls from the insurance company. Hey, what is he still doing there? So, what do you mean he's still doing here? He's being That's treated. That's another you can layer. See. 
Yeah, that's, that's another. So that's another. We have life. to spend our times documenting like crazy. It's, to, and it's to worse now, them. more than ever, with worse. the insurance yes. companies. Oh, much worse. Yeah, yes. yeah. You want me to weigh in on that one? Yeah, mm. sure. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I listen. I have a chronic illness, and for the first time in 15 years, they they said they weren't going to pay for my drug. And I had to spend hours and hours on the phone. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Making an appeal and so forth. Yeah. Yep. So, and it's getting worse. Yes, it is. In the past six months. So I like to fondly refer to these companies as the Medicare take advantage of seniors plans. Oh, wow. Yeah. And they do. So we're right now fighting. People come in, two particular cases, strokes. We can't prove, the documentation doesn't prove that they need therapy after one week because they're not showing progress, so they're being cut. We can't send them home, but they don't want to pay. And they draw a line in the sand, but, I mean, these, these Advantage plans are getting paid by Medicare to manage the care of the, of the seniors, mm-hmm. and they're just not getting it. Yeah, and I think that's across the board. I don't think there's one, any one particular company. Everybody's just just holding on to that money, and that's another thing. Where are all our nurses? Yeah, nurses are gatekeepers at these advantage plans. Make sure that no one gets paid. Hold on to the money. Um, they're also busy doing income generating jobs. I don't know if you're familiar. No. Everybody receives a score. Mm-hmm. They 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 started with rug scores. If you want an explanation to that, it basically you need a patient who how to determine how to get reimbursed, whether it's in a hospital or even in a nursing home, they receive a score of how what level, what skill level they're at, which was a nice endeavor. But now the whole focus of the entire healthcare industry is to meet the metrics, meet the score, CMIs, case mix index. Um, you know, hospitals are doing are using RUVs, which are you know determine how much you know performance a doctor's doing. So where the our nurses, I my daughter who's a nurse practitioner. Her, her colleagues, her friends are going into positions of scoring MDSs. Mm. Why? Because that's where the money is. Wow. They can stay home. They don't have to provide care. Yeah. And they're getting a lot of money. Mm. 50% higher than a nurse would make even in a hospital. Right. Sorry. Do you feel like when you weren't, <clears throat> when you were kind of going against what you were supposed to do, was there any kind of blowback from that? At which point? Well, when you were saying I'm not going to take these patients. So as, as I said, the hospitals were throwing tantrums. Okay. Okay. They, they, but that died down very soon because in Staten Island, I don't know what happened. And, you know, I, we were too busy going crazy trying to maintain the home. Yeah. But in Staten Island, there were two facilities that were accepting um, COVID patients. Yes. One being South Beach Psych, one being... College of Staten Island. Mm-hmm. So they shortly thereafter they had where to go. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So th- that pressure was off. Once, once, once I sustained the first few weeks, it didn't bother me. Yeah. There's a lot of lawsuits right now against nursing homes during COVID. Yep. And what do you think of that? <sighs> Some are deserved. Yeah. Some are not. Yes. Again, there's, 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 to anybody on the outside, it's really difficult to understand. Yes. And I have found so many attorneys, forgive me attorneys, I don't, I don't want to <laughs> throw okay. them. okay. They're not informed enough what really is going on. Yes. Yeah. And listen, Cuomo made it very difficult with blanket immunity just a few days after he issued that March 25th order. So, you know, my sister-in-law is somebody who's like, I'm not going to blame the nursing home. I'm not going to. They they were wearing garbage bags. Mm-hmm. They had no choice. Tell me about it. They had no <laughs> PPE, you know, and we ha- we saw angels there that, that were there doing it for the right reasons. And so I don't know 
where we go next, except that we have to keep raising awareness. And that's why I'm really grateful you came in to tell me about your wonderful place, because I know they're out there and we have to have more of them. Um, And if we don't go back and figure out what went wrong and put a light on the bad operators and the bad apples out there, it's never going to get better. So I think what's really important is like in back in the old days, I don't know how many people still remember the old days. There was who to blame. Yes. In when you come to Silver Lake, you point your finger at me Mm. or my wife. It's a family business and that's it. If you go to another place, there are owners, but there's also an outside management company telling the owners what to do. Yes. So it's re- I, I wouldn't even begin to know. But mm-hmm. all I do know is there's no one to blame. And I think that's the biggest problem. Not even the governor of the state of New York? <sighs> former? The former? Listen, you again, can be honest. No, I don't. I Okay. <clears throat> I, again, I don't know what happens. I don't know the governor. I never met him. Yeah. All I know is that during that this whole period, yes. everything changed. Mm. And for the worse. Yes. Okay, That's we, all you We're need talking to say. about there was a time that we were a dime a dozen. Mm-hmm. I learned. I went to seminars, continuing education courses. I met giants in this industry and everyone was under the radar because it was the lowly nursing home industry. And we just did the the unwanted work that nobody wants to be bothered with. Yeah. But we did it. And we've been here throughout most of the great people are gone. They were tired. They were pushed out. Yeah. Or they passed. Mm. And now the homes are run by people who don't even have a concept of what care is. Yeah. So I, nobody should act surprised, not from the state of New York, not from the feds. It's It was given out to private equity. Someone's got to fix it. Do you look at, is there any state doing it well? I happen to think that corporations can be better than what we have in New York. Okay. It's a good answer. And the, what okay, one of one of the things that bothers me most about what happened in New York mm-hmm. is that a nursing home has a culture. Yeah. And the staff has a culture and a direction and everyone gets into habits. If you have a habit of constantly worrying about your resident and I'm not, again, I think most CNAs do this, love their patients. Mm-hmm. They will do anything. In, even in the bad homes, they'll pull money out of their pocket and bring supplies for the residents yeah. because they have pity on them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's happening. Mm-hmm. But it, whenever people have taken over some of these homes, they never change the culture. So when the home has deteriorated... They may put up some smoke and mirrors for generating income because remember, rehab generates income. Yes. That's what the state told us. Mm-hmm. And since 2007, when they introduced this CMI and you're going to be reimbursed based on rehab, so not everybody wants to be a rehab. Yes. Yeah. But what happens if you're converted to a long-term stay? You're not, the, the, there's, there's no coverage for that care. So the approach has been, well, I can't provide it. Mm. No money. So why do you still do it? <sighs> okay. Can I, can I, can I, so, can I so, be really soppy about this? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Be soppy. <laughs> okay. Well, and I, so my director of nursing, Tina and I, we just sit there and we're, we're breaking our heads. We're ready to just blow our brains out because it's so difficult to these days. Yeah. But when we walk out, and I get blessings from the residents Aww. or thanked. Mm. I got a hug from Diane mm-hmm. yesterday. Just little things. Yeah. And say, so, you know, that, that that's worth it all. I can't give it up. Yeah. So we're going to keep on fighting Good. until we can't. Uh, and we have to care more about our elderly. We have to. Of we co- do. We have to. It, it's, you know, I've said this before that if this happened to kids, kids were the most susceptible and we were, they were putting 
sick patients into schools or something. My goodness, there would be people in jail right now. Yeah. Right. But you see, again, I, I don't want to take your focus off the COVID. Yes. Because COVID was a bad episode. It's always been happening. And it, Well, what's happening is there's, there's also a concept of thriving. Yes. So take dementia. Mm-hmm. Dementia is a very misunderstood field. Mm-hmm. They do not teach CNAs how to do dementia care. So either the facility teaches it hands-on, and right now we're getting a wave of new CNAs coming in or young, yeah. and we have to guide them and teach right. them because they, they, they don't, they don't know. No. Yeah. Oh, I know. My, my father-in-law had dementia, and they would put food on, on the table, and he would never eat it. Mm. They just didn't know. Just they leave didn't, it there? Yep, they just leave it there. They don't know enough to eat, and they don't know that they can't feed exactly. themselves. Yeah. And so he was mm-hmm. starving, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, yes, so we need education. Elliot, are you optimistic? Yes. You I, are. I, I think I am optimistic. I just keep punching every day oh. away and away. And I, I come in there, you know, the finances on the, the, the hierarchy there, I, I mostly deal with the patients. Oh. And that's what makes me feel good. I just sent home somebody after about 10 months. He came in bad shape, and you see them walking out. Oh. It's such good gratification to the whole staff, mm-hmm. hugging him, telling him, you'll do good, come back and see us. And they do. They come back. Michael puts on a 4th of July barbecue Aww. and other Memorial Day barbecues <laughs> and Labor Day barbecues. Yeah. And these patients, mm-hmm. they do come back to visit, and we look at them, and we say, wow, we did that. Yeah. And it's really gratifying to the staff. And I think we need more government officials to come and see the nursing homes. I know Ron Kim has come to see you. That's important. Mm -hmm. They need to do that. I know they have a lot on their plate, but to have somebody like Ron Kim and see where you go to work every day trying to make a difference, that's important. I also think that they don't realize that there are very vibrant people in nursing facilities. It's not just for very, very, very sick people. Mm-hmm. It's for residents that were there for rehab and for whatever reason they can't go home. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe they don't have enough insurance to cover them or maybe um, they didn't have housing anymore. Mm-hmm. So so they stay with us. And and these are very active people. I have, yesterday we had a ba- um, entertainment uh uh, two singers that came. They were fantastic. I had residents up dancing and singing. <laughs> and these are not, n- this is what's in nursing facilities now. So this is their home. Yeah. So I, I think, like you said, government officials and po- po- politicians should see that these are y- younger people, um, uh, some middle-aged people, older people, but that are very vibrant and they have a lot of living to do. Yes. But they need, you know, um, to be recognized for that. And yeah. it's not a place that you put people away and forget about them. That's right. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, I thank you all for being here. Um, you know, to be continued, I think we have to keep talking about it. And I will. I'll keep talking about it. And, you know, at some point, we're all going to need somewhere to go at some That's point. True. And we have to do better. And, Michael, I thank you for doing better. It's a pleasure. <laughs> well, it is a pleasure. We're going to keep talking, okay? Absolutely. And keep fighting. Keep fighting. Thank you for right. being. And here. if I could just say one more thing. Of course. Because let me be an inspiration. <laughs> okay. I want the entire industry to just take a step back and think and treat these people like they're your own parents. Because yeah. you w- nobody would want the care that they're providing on their own parents. Right. And I know it's not intentional, but everyone has to do better. Yes, we do. Yep. Listen, my sister-in-law, Donna, God bless her. She turned tragedy into good. Uh, She runs an organization called um, Operation Gifts for Seniors. And every Valentine's Day, every Father's Day, every Mother's Day, she collects items that she can bring to the nursing home because, unfortunately, there are seniors out there that don't have people that come to visit them, right? They don't have families. So we're the family. You are the family. So, again, thank you for being here, and I will do whatever I can to keep keep it sunny. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
Thank you, Michael, Lori, and Elliot for joining me today. I really enjoyed our conversation, and it is wonderful to hear from people who work in the nursing home industry and have hope for the future despite the incredible challenges we face. We have to continue this conversation and pay attention. We need to figure out what we're going to do going forward to ensure all of us are taken care of. We can't just leave it up to our kids and other people to do it for us. We need to start making plans and changing the way the nursing home industry is helping take care of us in the future. Thank you to all of my listeners. If you have someone you think should make the Dean's List, let me know at Janice Dean on Twitter or Janice Dean FNC on Instagram. Or you can rate this podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or at foxnewspodcast.com. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts.